Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, Panthers Insider. I'm Pat Bostic. We're here with you for the next hour. Super Bowl weekend and Pitt basketball back in action today at 12 noon on the home of the Pitt Panthers right here on 93.7 The Fan. Bill Hillgrove, Curtis Aiken with that call from Tallahassee. A big game for the Panthers, a revenge game for the Panthers against the Florida State Seminoles. The Seminoles were victorious over the Panthers in Pittsburgh at the Peterson Event Center last month beating Pitt by a score of 71-64. to 64. We'll look at that matchup, revisit the the game that was, obviously the, the loss to the Seminoles at the Peterson Event Center back in January, see what went wrong, what needs to go right today for the Panthers to take their winning streak to five games. We'll talk to Noah Hiles from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's in Tallahassee. He's on the Pitt beat. We'll talk to him at 8.45. And the Panthers get another Canton call. And on the gridiron, Darrell Rivas, a first ballot Hall of Famer. No one's surprised there. The Panthers tally their 10th Pro Football Hall of Famer, putting them third all-time. Talk about Darrell with his former head coach at the University of Pittsburgh, Dave Wanstatt, will join the program at 8.30. We'll talk to Coach Wanstatt about Darrell and what he saw in him during his time at Pitt. Obviously, what it means to a coach to have not one, but just not just one, but two, because Zach Thomas, who he coached in Miami was also got his Canton call. What it means to a coach to have a former player of his get that call, and obviously what it means to this Pitt program. Who we'll just kick things off today by by talking about kind of the road ahead for for Pitt in terms of Pro Football Hall of Famers. It's certainly a a statistic that bears watching in terms of evaluating a program's relevance, their strength. And the type of talent that the Panthers have continued to produce over over their storied history. Ten Pro Football Hall of Famers. Ten busts in Canton. I was fortunate enough to be there in Canton back uh, when when uh, excuse me Jimbo Covert in 2021 was was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it's just amazing to see first of all the likeness of the busts. And and if you get a chance to go there, it's not a far drive. It's it's a great experience. Um, the weekend itself is is awesome. Uh, the event that was obviously the first event post COVID, so it was kind of it, it was it was tempered in some in some respects, but but still was obviously very well attended and and had a ton of fanfare. And they've done a lot of infrastructure work in Canton to uh, to accommodate the, the spectacle that it's certainly become. But to add a tenth bus to that to that um, that hall is is um, is spectacular. And, and obviously there there are more to come. Larry Fitzgerald's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. There's absolutely no doubt he's one of the greatest receivers of all time. Um, you, you would think Aaron Donald, whenever he whenever he uh, hangs it up, which which we don't know when that will be, whenever he hangs it up, uh, that five year clock will just start ticking, and it'll be it's inevitable that he will be an addition to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think Lashawn McCoy is Pro Football Hall of Fame material, um, without question. Um, you know, one of the most dynamic, uh, multifaceted running backs. Um, to play in the National Football League, had a long career, won two Super Bowls, albeit not his, uh, not 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 contributing in the way that we were accustomed to LaShawn contributing to a team, um, but nonetheless on the team, two Super Bowls, and obviously was uh, a multiple-time Pro Bowler and All-Pro player. Um, you would think that LaShawn is 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 a pretty sure bet. I think Andy Lee. I mean, there haven't been a whole lot of punters to get into the Hall of Fame, but Andy Lee certainly bears mentioning. One of the longest careers. He, I mean, he's he's got a chance to approach George Blanda 
type uh, type uh, longevity in terms of uh, that he's still playing. Obviously, graduated from Pitt a while back in 2003, 2004, I think was the draft year, and uh, is still is still kicking, uh, literally kicking, punting for uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and he's still, I mean, punting the ball very very well. Um, he's uh, certainly been a mainstay. I, I do think Reuben Brown is 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 a guy that just unfortunately has gotten overlooked, but but uh, you talk about a long career and, and one of the most dominant offensive linemen, both for the Bills and the Bears, that uh, the league has seen uh, several all-pro uh, uh, appearances on, on those teams, a pro bowler multiple times, just a, uh, a, a quite a track record, quite a, uh, quite a resume, and you know, you'd think that he would be a guy that would bear consideration. So you're, you're looking at you know, in my opinion, you know, a minimum of three that that I think are, are in. So you're looking at 13 then um, here in the next, I'd say, five to seven years. LaShawn would be first, uh, in my opinion, just based on the, the time clock. Larry shortly thereafter, and then Aaron, whenever he decides to hang it up, five years after that. So Pitt fans can can book their tickets to, to Canton here and, and, and maybe, maybe buy a timeshare or two over the next – the next several years because Pitt's going to be a, a mainstay uh, in that um, in that particular – for that particular event in August. Uh, I do want to talk about Darrell a little bit. I never played with Darrell at Pitt, but I've got a chance to know him and obviously watched his career. And he changed the game. Um, Darrell Reeves changed the game of, of playing the corner position. Um, what Rex Ryan was able to do with the Jets defensively to put him on essentially an island, hence the nickname – is um, certainly a um, it, it, it's it's something we haven't seen. I mean, there there are great corners in the ga- game today. Jalen Ramsey, and obviously Richard Sherman was a terrific player. We've seen a lot of of corners come come and go, um, but but what Darrell was able to do, locking down the best of the best. I mean, the completion rates against him are insane. The avoidance of, of throwing his way, the ability to play any number of coverages, cover two, three deep two-man, and just let him on his own is against the league's best every single time, traveling sideline to sideline with him and being able to bracket other players as a result of it and get more run support. I mean, you basically – it was it was 10 on 10, you know, essentially. It, or it was – he was taking one guy out of the game. And, and that's why he, he earned the nickname Revis Island, and that will – that that nickname will, will forever be, you know, cemented in the mind of anyone that loves the game of football. So congrats to Darrell, to Aliquippa getting their third Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, Mike Ditka, Ty Law, Darrell Revis. Probably more, more to come from that storied program and obviously the University of Pittsburgh with its 10th Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee. We'll talk to Dave Wanstead at 8.30, give him a call. Get him on the line to talk about Darrell, talk about Zach Thomas, talk a little bit of Super Bowl today. Can't can't be Super Bowl weekend if we don't talk the game a little bit. It's uh, it's a huge weekend in sports. I, I, over you know a billion people will watch the Super Bowl. It's crazy. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about the Eagles and the Chiefs with Coach Wanstep. But I want to dig into Pitt, Florida State um, today. And before we get there, I, I do want to mention the article written by Pat Forty about Heather Like and the job she's done with Pitt's athletic programs. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read it, I'm going to tweet it out. I, I, tweet, I retweeted it the other day. It, it's just 
a tribute to the work she's done, the, the culture she's built, and obviously with, with Pitt men's basketball in the position they're in, speaks to that, that you know, Rome isn't built in a day either. You know, there's a, an element of patience involved, um, you know, adjustment, things of that nature that, you know, it hasn't been, it, it, was, it was a quick build in many respects, some of the programs that we haven't been accustomed to having success, men's soccer, women's soccer, obviously have, have really vaulted up in terms of their performance. Um, but certainly basketball, men's basketball was a program that, you know, was there was some choppy water the last couple of years. But obviously their success this year, the success of volleyball and men's soccer making Final Fours, football with 20 wins in two seasons, it doesn't happen without Heather Lake's leadership. But I think we all owe her a debt of gratitude, and I wanted to shout that out because I thought it was an ex- excellently, excellently written story. And um, really enjoyed enjoyed reading that. So if you get a chance, Pat Forty wrote that story. Florida State, obviously in the bottom of the league from a win loss perspective. Not not a team that on paper Pitt, the Panthers favored in this game on the road in Tallahassee. Not a team that you expect to to lose to uh, can afford to lose to at this point in the season. The Panthers, I, I think, have Lenardi have have them projected an eight seed in the NCAA tournament now, which is semi-safe, I guess. But this is the kind of quad four game that y- you need to win. And Florida State's a team that had a was ravaged with injuries early in the season. Really got them off to a very rough start from a continuity perspective. Played a lot of guys they didn't think they were going to need to play. And when they played the Panthers in January, they shot the absolute lights out. I was at the game. It was obviously a game that the Panthers got down, clawed back, but but couldn't close the gap. And if you look at, I mean, 50% from three for Florida State, made 10 of 20 attempts. Cleveland had 11 points. Green Jr. shot five for eight from three. And I, I'm talking about contested threes. Contested threes, fadeaway threes. The Panthers have to be much better defensively today against Florida State, and they've played better defense in this four-game stretch. They won two games defensively, Carolina-Miami. Defensive stops late to secure victory. Obviously, they played extremely well against Louisville. And Kenny Payne's praise of of the Pitt program about their toughness, about their togetherness, their talk on defense. They're going to need every bit of that today down in Tallahassee to walk away victorious. And this is a weighty game. You know, this is a this is a, a this is like a third down type of game. You know, you, you convert here and all of a sudden you come back home against Boston College. It's a third down type of game too, because if you look at the league, if you look at the rest of the league right now, and we kind of detailed this last week, the path forward for Pitt isn't isn't quite as um difficult as Clemson or Virginia or Miami in terms of the number of, of kind of in the hunt teams the Panthers are going to play. But when you look at the Panthers, who are currently tied for first in the ACC at 10-3, and three, tied with Virginia and Clemson, Virginia's got tough duty today. Tough game for the Cavaliers against Duke at home. Duke obviously coming off a lopsided loss to Miami, a team that's very talented, and a heck of a matchup today in Charlottesville. Clemson, losers of two straight. At Carolina, Carolina's reeling right now and needs a win. They're they're a they're a hungry dog right now. 
and Clemson's going down to Chapel Hill for what promises to be a a very important game. So the Panthers win today, and Virginia and and Clemson lose, hypothetically speaking. Panthers find themselves in sole possession of first place. And as we look at things moving forward, there are certainly some tests. Boston College is playing better at Virginia Tech next Saturday. Not going to be easy. Virginia Tech's one of the hotter teams in the league. And it's very streaky uh, and very dangerous. Got a really good program. It's a tough place to play. Syracuse at home will be uh, certainly a spirited affair, uh, given Jim Beheim's uh, unfortunate comments that he retracted twice. Um, it'll be uh, – there's some battles coming up. And, they, and we, we've seen this Pitt team play. There haven't been a whole lot of breathing room in, in these wins for the Panthers. But they could be on a fast track to that game down in Coral Gables on March 4th being very, very, very critical, being for an ACC championship. But we're talking about Pitt, Florida State now, and we're going to preview that more with Noah Hiles later in the show. I, I, I was following – I was out of town this week. I was down in Florida doing some donor visits, had a good time. The weather was awesome, a little bit warmer down there, although it was warm in Pittsburgh, I hear. Came back into Pittsburgh, and it, it, I guess the, the weather was changing over and the wind was brutal. On Thursday night, like 10.30, we landed. Top three scariest landings I've ever been a part of. Um, but but we're here. But I'm following that game against Louisville. You know, it's a game you're always nervous about. Big break. Panthers had a break after the Carolina game. Come back against Louisville. Are you going to be rusty? Do you take them lightly? All the cliches, all the concerns that coaches, fans, players alike have. And I thought to myself after that 16-minute media timeout when the Panthers were, you know, back and forth with the Cardinals. I, I thought, man, are they gonna are they gonna let this team hang around? And boy did they not do that. They put the hammer down and just blew them out of the building. And what I thought to myself was that's what good teams do. You're not going to get a whole lot of praise for, for beating a, a Louisville team that has one win in the league. You certainly don't expect that. But we are kind of at a point where style points matter. We are kind of at a point where style points matter in terms of your NCAA resume. And if you're able to beat teams by 25, 30 at home, you know, you're, you're trying to make up for some of those lopsided losses early. That's not on Jeff Capel's mind, nor should it be. But in the grand scheme of things, he said something after the game, or it might have been actually during his press availability two days ago. I think that's when it was. He said at halftime they talked about being mature, and they talked about playing for something bigger than that game. And it wasn't style points or winning by 30 or any of those things. I, I, I think this team right now has a level of confidence and is bottled an energy that they are committed to, to maintaining. They're committed to maintaining it, and they're not worried about who they're playing, where they're playing. All, they're, all they care about is how they play and playing together. And it's fun to watch. It's really fun to watch. It's a, it's a team right now that's – and Kenny Payne said it after the game. He got about as in-depth about Louisville's head coach did about another team that I've, I've heard a coach get talking about how this pit team plays together, how they're the, the toughest team they've played in the league, bar none. Obviously, the, the scores would, would bear that out. But it's, it's how they play that it's impressed him. 
And that's how he wants his team to play. So as we watch this Pitt team continue their run, and obviously a critical game today in Tallahassee at 12 noon right here on the fan, let's continue to watch how they play. Because they keep playing like this, we're talking about a team that has a chance to win the ACC championship and will be a factor in the postseason for the first time in several years. We're going to transition to some football talk next. 8.30, we'll welcome Coach Dave Wanstat, talk about Darrell Revis, talk about Zach Thomas, talk a little Super Bowl perhaps, and then head back to some basketball talk to close out the show with Noah Hiles at 8.45. You're listening to Panthers Insider. Don't go anywhere. It's 93.7 The Fan. Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan Panthers Insider rolls on, and we roll out to the phone line with a, a proud coach, Coach Dave Wanstat. Coach, good morning. Pat, what's up? What's up, man? I know you. You know you're busy. You got grandkids stuff today, but it's Super Bowl weekend, oh, and I know you got a lot of I, duties on that front too. I uh, yeah. Well, I'm here in Chicago while our house gets rebuilt in uh, in Naples, and uh, so yeah, I got six grandkids. I was in a basketball game last night, a hockey game last night, and I've got three events today. I'm heading to, so it's fun though. You know what? I, I normally would miss this stuff, so uh, it's a blessing. Uh, good and bad with everything. It's all a matter how you look at it. You know that. No question. All about perspective. And speaking of perspective and, and, and being a, a dad, a grandfather, also a coach, um, what's, it, what's it like to not just have one, and this is, this is probably unique. I haven't even thought about this, to, to, be, to, to have coached one Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee that, was, that got their call this week in college and one in the pro with Darrell Revis and, and, and Zach Thomas with the Dolphins. What does that mean to you as a coach? Well, it's it's great for the players. You know, that's the first thought that comes to your mind. It's w- so well-deserved. Uh, you love seeing them get the recognition that they earned. And, and, and both guys, I mean, you know, different paths, obviously, different positions. But uh, uh, both of them, uh, both of them really had uh, – uh, that work ethic, it, they did the things, Pat. Everybody just thinks the great athletes uh, end up in a Pro Bowl, and, and there are, to some extent, some. But when you look at Darrell Revis, and one of the first stories that jumped at me at Darrell was we went up and played Cincinnati up there. I think it was my second game, maybe, here at Pitt. And uh, he dropped a punt uh, at about the 15-yard line and Cincinnati recovered it, and they scored. We ended up winning the game. But the next day, when we went out on the field for practice, uh, whatever time we were supposed to be out there, I usually go out, went out early and kind of messed around with the specialists a little bit, the kickers. And uh, I was heading out onto the field, and there was one guy on the field, and he was catching punts. And I went out, it was Durrell. And we stood there, and he says, Coach, that doesn't happen to me. You don't know me that well. You're just getting to know me. That that does not happen. But the point was that here he was, you know, going to be a first-round draft pick, and that bothered him so much that he let himself and the team down by mishandling a punt. He was on the field early. He didn't talk about it. He backed it up with how hard he trained. And, uh, you know, that, that's a story for all young kids, I think, that, that think this stuff just happens by accident. It doesn't, Pat. You know that. No, it doesn't. And obviously, he, he, his, he'll forever be remembered for the return against West Virginia with Derek Kinder blocking two guys. You had a front row seat for that one. But he also, uh, obviously, Revis Island is is the moniker. 
how did he change the game with his ability to lock guys down? It, it, he, he may be the best to ever do it. Yeah, you know, the, the biggest change I, I think that Darrell did was they were able to, and we did a little bit of it at Pitt now, because we did, I did a, some of it in Dallas and hadn't done it in years, but we would put in a coverage where we would roll up or we would double cover their best guy. We called it that old roll, three-roll fat at fifth. Yep. And, and Darrell would always go opposite, and he would cover the next guy. And you, and you knew that you hoped that they threw to, to the next guy. But we were eliminating the best guy, and then we, we put Darrell over there and, and so, and then when he ended up at New England, it really came to light with Bill Belichick, even before uh, or right around the Rebus Island time with Rex Ryan up there at the Jets. Bill Belichick used Darrell all different ways. I mean, he even took it to another step of, of he would use him, obviously, in some double coverage. Most of the time, he would match him up either on the best guy or the second guy. They would put in zone coverages <clears throat> where they could take advantage of him. So they really built a secondary around Darrell to take away best receivers. And, and there are not many players that could do that. And, you know, I, I doubled up with Darrell. When I was at the Tampa Bay Bucks for that one year, we brought Darrell in as a free agent. And I remember going out to dinner with him and Sean Gilbert and everybody, and Darrell came with us with Tampa for that one year. He wasn't healthy. But we were talking, and uh, – you know, when I said to him, Darrell, I've, I've coached a lot of great corners. You are so physical. And I think that's what separates him, Pat. His physicality uh, to play corner. I said, you can go to safety right now and probably play another five years if you wanted to. I mean, you know, most of these corners today, they think their job is to cover, which it is. Where Darrell Rivas, and, and I said this on, I'm a part of this 33rd team, he's the most complete corner in my mind, that I've ever been around or coached in the National Football League. When I say complete, I mean he could cover the best. He could, he could make plays on the ball. His hand-eye coordination was the best. His physicality to play the run was the best. Uh, you know, the guy just checked all the boxes. That's why he's the first ballot. No, no doubt about it. And a guy, too, when talking to Coach Dave Wanstead, you coached in Miami, who was in his 10th season of eligi- tenth year of eligibility, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I know this is a guy, in, in talking to you about your time in Miami, which you had some really good teams down there. Um, this was the guy at the center of it and Zach Thomas. And I watched him as a kid. I mean, one of the most physical, tough middle linebackers you've ever seen. You know How, how rewarding is it to see him finally get his Canton call? Well, you know, we, t- we talk about preparation all the time with players, but how about a linebacker that's 5'10", you know, uh, 200 and some pounds, runs a 4.840, and the guy's in the Hall of Fame. And that's what Zach Thomas was. Why was he? I'll give you a real quick story. He made about his second or third Pro Bowl, and we're in the middle of training camp, and he comes in my office and says, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, what's up, Zach? And he says, Coach, what do you think? What are you thinking this year? And I said, what do you mean, what am I thinking? I'm thinking we're going to go to the Super Bowl. And he says, no, 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 for with me. You th- my chance is good to make the team. And I said, Zach, what are you talking about? You're the captain. You're a three-time pro bowler. He says, Coach, every practice I go on the field, I practice and mentally and physically, like it, I prepare myself like this could be my last practice and I am going to maximize that opportunity. And there's another lesson, you know, for these young kids out there. 
here's a three, four-time pro bowler, and he's concerned and he's practicing like, you know what, if I don't, if I don't play at this level in practice, I may not make this team. So, so Zach was just preparation king. That took him over the top. You know, last one for you, Coach. I know you're going you're going from place to place. You know, Super Bowl week, obviously you've got experiences with it, obviously both in the media but also having coached in the game in preparation and the media duties. But we're getting close to game time. And I just want to ask you about your kind of outlook for this game because, you know, this is a pit show, but but we can't not talk about the Super Bowl. And, and you know, I grew up an Eagles fan, full disclosure – I don't see how Kansas City can block that front. What, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, you're right. And they, they, the key is to get them in passing situations, though, Pat. The, the, you know, the, Philadelphia is one of the best running teams in the NFL. First, first down is going to be critical for the Eagles. If they can run the ball, pick up three, four yards on first down, the Eagles are going to be right where they want to be. If they get behind the chains, if they penalties, uh, it drop passes or unsuccessful runs, then I think advantage goes to Kansas City because now it's third down, and that was not what, what Philadelphia does. That's not how they make a living. Uh, you know, so, so that's going to be a key for them. But, but, I, but I don't know. I, I like Philadelphia because they're old school. They run the ball. They play physical. They rush for, you know, they do a lot of things that I believe in philosophy-wise. This is really a matchup of old-school football versus modern razzle-dazzle football with the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Well, I love it. Thanks for the breakdown, Coach. Get to that, uh, that practice or that game, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for your time. All right, Pat. Anytime, buddy. Let me know. Bye-bye. All right, there he goes. Coach wants that. He's, uh, he's the best. He's the best. Knows Darrell really well. Mentioned the physicality. I saw Darrell. He was honored at the ACC championship this year as a one of the legends. And um, as is customary, you know, I go up and say hello to people and give them a little shot on the shoulder. Um, I thought it was going to cold cock me back because I, I must have hit him in a bad shoulder. Um, talk about the physicality and the, the, the wear and tear of the game. There's a guy that played the game right. And Coach wants that's a guy that coached the game right. I, what I was trying to ask, I was trying to get him to talk D-line because I don't think Kansas City can block Philly's front four. I, I just don't think they can. I think that's the best defensive line in the league, bar none, and I think the, the Philly's offensive line is the best in the league, and I've, I've thought that for several weeks, actually dozen, a dozen weeks or more, just watching them run the ball, protect Jalen Hurts, obviously use Jalen Hurts in the run game, and, and just Josh Sweat, you know, Reddick, uh, obviously inside Hargrave. I mean, they are just absolutely loaded. And with Darius Slay outside, and shout out to Pitt Panther, Avante Maddox. I, I just, I think Philly's too much. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is the ultimate equalizer, especially if he's 100%. He's had two weeks to get ready. But, you know, quarterback play in, in the modern NFL gets a lot of attention, and I, I agree. It, it is, all things being equal, quarterback play is, is 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 often the determining factor, um, but for this Super Bowl game, in my opinion, um, things are not equal on the two lines in the trenches, and I think over time that'll bear out. And I think you know a less than 100% Patrick Mahomes and his ability to move against that front four and having to block that front four will be tough to run the ball on him. And I think if they get an obvious passing downs, they're going to come after Mahomes. Obviously, they got to handle Kelsey. 
And then up front, the Eagles offensive line, Miles Sanders, that running game with Jalen Hurts. I got Philly winning the Super Bowl. But we'll get back to some hoops talk next. Going to welcome Noah Hiles from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Talk Pitt, Florida State, and wrap things up here on Panthers Insider. You're listening to 93.7 The Fan. Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Continuing things on Panthers Insider. Heading down to the state of Florida, Tallahassee and Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Pitt beat reporter Noah Hiles. Noah, good morning. Morning, Pat. Thanks for having me on. You got it, man. How how is the uh, how's the capital city down there? It's uh, raining nonstop. That's how it is. It's very wet. It's it's a cool campus, I will say. But you, you know, going sightseeing, I have to make sure I have my umbrella and my raincoat with me. Well, it won't be wet in the uh, in the arena today for a, a big game. Uh, for Pitt, they're all big this time of year, and obviously, uh, you know, you're on the beat, you're around the program, um, you're always uh, you're always in tune with things. What's your vibe on this team right now? Because it seems like a group that is about as confident as there is in the league. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment, Pat. Uh, I, I it just it's playing its best basketball right now, which is exactly what you want to see for a team trying to push its way into the NCAA tournament, trying to you know, establish itself with some solid seating for its con- conference tournament. Won four straight. Its last loss was against Florida State. And, you know, according to some players and some and some coaches that I've spoken with, they're really hungry for revenge today. When you look at this matchup, Noah, um, you know, what jumps out at you from the, from the last game? Obviously the Panthers fell to Florida State at home. What jumps out at you as, as things that need to be corrected if the Panthers are going to win today in Tallahassee? I mean, I think Pitt just played a bad game against Florida State. I, I, I think that first things first, I mean, the Seminoles shot 50% from three in that game. Um, so I think maybe closing out a little bit better on uh, outside looks on the defensive end could be key. But I, I think Jeff Capel really pointed out that they, they were outplayed down low. And I think that that had to do with Federico. Federico getting into some foul trouble and the Diaz-Graham twins, you know, not being able to – to execute as well as they would have liked, but I think the post play has really improved over the last four games. I mean, we saw the Diaz Graham twins combine for nine blocks in their last game, and granted against a Louisville team that's struggling this season, but still, I think the areas where Pitt struggled last time out against the Seminoles, they've addressed and gotten better at uh, in each of their past four victories. So I think it's just going to be playing playing their game, not playing Florida State's game, but Pitt needs to come out and play its game because that's what Leonard Hamilton's best ability as a head coach is to take you take away the things that you do well. You talked about the Diaz-Graham twins and, and Federico Federico. I know you've had a chance to talk to talk to the triplets, I guess, like all oh, the quadruplets now with Nate Santos. But what do you, what do you make of their improvement um, over not just the past couple of weeks but over the course of the season because – you know, they're getting minutes from Jorge now, and, and, and he it was mostly Guillermo for a long time. It, it seems like you know we're, we're at the point where they're no longer freshmen. Uh, would I be accurate in that assessment? I, I still think they're freshmen. Um, <laughs> you know, when they have because they have those moments, but they are certainly coming along. I mean, you look at those guys. I mean, entering this season, Federico was supposed to be the only one of those four names that you just listed to get any sort of consistent playing time, but. When you lose John Hughley and you, you lose Will Jeffers before the year even started and you don't have Dior Johnson, your bench is thin. 
and it creates a need for really all hands on deck. And for for Federico to step up the way he's done, I think is is one of the more underappreciated things that this team is, has going for it right now. Because if he, if he doesn't play well, Pitt is incredibly vulnerable down low. But the way he stepped up his game this season has been impressive. And then, you know, once he started getting it going, teams realized, all right, well, we'll get him in foul trouble, and then we can just pick on the Twins. Well, over the last month or so, they've really stepped their game up as well. And it just goes to show, you know, all the hard work that they're putting in. Jeff always talks about how, like you said, those that, 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 for the group of four, uh, they're always staying after practice. They're working hard, and that hard work's showing. They've really developed their game. They still have a long way to go. I mean, the Twins, <laughs> they need to stay in that gym, put on some muscle a little bit, but they're going to be really good players. You can tell. You can tell the team absolutely loves them, and that's because they, they bust their tails to, to get better, and we're seeing that on the court. Talking to Noah Howes from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I want to talk to you about Jamarius Burton. Um, and a, a guy that you know, I think we'd be we'd be it'd be fair to say he is the he's the glue to this team and the leader of this team. Uh, although there are there are other leaders, uh, other vocal leaders, other leaders by example. Um, but but is this a guy that's certainly playing at an all league level? Is this a guy that we could point to as as kind of the fulcrum, um, you know, around which this team's going to rotate for for this run through the through the remainder of this season? Yeah, absolutely. He, he's the Captain America of this group is like what I like to label him as. He, he's the guy that – he's the, he's the straw that stirs the drink. He makes it all work because if there's, there's games where they need scoring in the paint and no one in the ACC has showed a better ability to get to the bucket and finish than Jamarius Burton this year. He's shooting like 50% from the field as a point guard, which is pretty crazy. And then – there's other games where he can help out on the rebounding effort. He's had a double-double because of rebounds. He can get others involved with assists. This, and most importantly, Pat, I think his biggest uh, thing that he contributes to this group is leadership. Jeff talked about last year how when JB was, was around, he would try to be a leader and, and get on guys. But they, some of the guys just didn't respond. So about halfway through the year, he just said, you know what? Forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm done trying. This group is responding. He, he has a team now that he can actually lead and guys who are just as invested as he is, and you see it. Everyone's really bought in. He's the one who's leading the charge. Yeah, you mentioned the, the field goal shooting percentage at 51% for Jamarius Burton. He's one of only two guards in the top 10 in the league in field goal percentage at 51%, so I, I certainly think that speaks to his ability to get to the, to get to the rack. Let, let's talk just bigger picture here. Bigger picture uh, for one second. We'll close things out with you. Know, I know you got a busy day. You got to get to the arena here pretty soon with tip off at noon. What what needs to be done for the Panthers to to secure a spot in the tournament? I think they're an A seed right now. I know you tweeted out that they're eighty five percent chance to make the tournament. What solidifies that resume in your opinion? Winning games like today. Uh, the only thing that can hurt Pitt's tournament odds now are are losses against quad three or quad four opponents and. There are a lot of opportunities to lose games like that. They have a very easy schedule for the rest of the season. I think of their seven games, they only have two quad one opponents remaining. So Pitt's got to beat the teams it's supposed to beat. It's supposed to beat Florida State today. It's supposed to beat Georgia Tech. It's supposed to beat, you know, a Boston College. Uh, the, those teams, 
are inexcusable losses in February. When you're a team like Pitt, who, you know, is fighting to be ranked, that right now has a really good spot in the in the tournament as far as odds and everything, you can't you can't regress. You got to keep pushing forward. Pitt shouldn't be looking to stabilize itself in the in the tournament. It should be looking to remain in first place in the ACC, and I think that's the mentality. And when you're a first place team in the ACC, you don't lose the bottom of the barrel competition like Pitt has on its schedule going forward. Well, no, we appreciate you, man. Appreciate you breaking things down, analyzing this matchup and this season, and uh, we'll look forward to your story after uh, hopefully a good game today. All right, Pat. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Safe travels. Noah Hiles, there he goes. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette does an outstanding job covering things for Pitt, Pitt football, Pitt basketball, on the road, covering the beat, and um, appreciate him making some time this morning. Big game today. Big game today for Pitt. I'll be tuned in for sure. Fired up to watch this team play. I just enjoy watching them play. But I think he said it well. I mean, Pitt does have, of the contenders for an ACC championship, Pitt has the clearest path, um, in, in my opinion, the, the, the path of least resistance. There's resistance, but most of it could be created by, by not taking care of business. And today is a business trip for the Panthers. You'll have Bill Hillgrove, Curtis Aiken, with the call at 12 noon. Excited about this game. Super Bowl Sunday tomorrow. It's been a pleasure spending an hour with you this morning on Panthers Insider. PGT Trucking, proud sponsor of the show. Pat Gallagher, Beaver County Automotive, Voss TV and Appliance, and Mac Discount. We'll be back next week for Panthers Insider. The Panthers will be on the road at Virginia Tech for a, an evening game next week. We'll be bringing you the heat in the morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Have a great weekend, and hail to Pitt.